Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. by the Saints for a touchdown! Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans! We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill! Taysom TD! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Welcome Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak gearing up for week eight, a road trip to Indianapolis, the final AFC opponent for the Saints this season. And then it's all NFC after that, baby. But three and four versus three and four, two game losing streaks. So much parody there. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, and, and uh, we talked to Mickey Loomis on uh, WWL this week, and he was asked whether, you know, the trade deadline has been heating up if you'd be having calls. Yes, and yes. one of the things he pointed to is like one of the reasons you don't see a ton of trades in the NFL is everyone feels like they're still in it right now. <laughs> the Colts feel like they're still in it. The Saints feel like they're still in it. Even these two and five teams, they feel like one in, with one win this week, they're right back in it. Three and five, you're right in position for the second half of the season. You win a good number of games. And you make a run at the playoffs. Teams aren't quitting from there, and you rarely will see deals get done between two buyers, right? You need a buyer and a seller, and there's probably, what, two or three teams in the NFL right now that would consider themselves sellers, like the Panthers, the Cardinals, like maybe a few others, if they lose this week and they're at two and six. But either way, you know, it's something that the, the Saints and Colts definitely feel like they're both very much in contention in divisions that are not running away from anybody, right? So we'll look at that. We're going to talk to Lawrence Owen. He's the host of the Believe in Colts podcast. He also has a show on YouTube called Colts Law that's going to break down a lot of, you know, if you want to kind of get in depth on what the Colts have been doing, what they've looked like with Gardner Minshew, that sort of thing. Check that out. We'll have him in the second segment. Then in the final segment, I wanted to get into some of the notes that came up that I found from the defense uh, in that loss of the Jaguars. Some concerning things that I think they have to fix this week in particular when they go up and face the Colts. And then we're going to talk about X factors as we do. But in this first segment, I want to talk pretty much exclusively about Derek Carr. And the first question <laughs> I have to ask, and it's just because it's been brought up to me and I didn't even know this was a thing. And then I went down the rabbit hole last night. And it's actually really funny. Um, and he seems to be a good sport about it. So I don't think he's going to get mad at me. I, he might. I don't know. Uh, His brother he did, might. He did get paid for it. So... 
if you're going to take money, then it's fair game. And the question is, does Derek Carr wear eyeliner? And if you Google this, there is quite a rabbit hole to go down. This is not right. the first. Like I was like, oh, this is something that maybe was said in jest at one point. No, this is something that Derek himself has said has been asked about him throughout his entire life. Um, which is kind of fascinating. Uh, and when you look back and you see some of the, it kind of does look like he's wearing eyeliner. But did, did you know about this? Are you, were you aware of this? Yeah, I've definitely right heard about the Derek Carr uh, eyeliner. But, I mean, I never really took anything seriously about it. I, I just figured he has, I guess, really defined eyelashes. Yeah, well, that's he actually got asked on the Dan Patrick show about it. Like, <laughs> Dan Patrick asked him directly. And, yeah, I think what's going on, I don't think, Derek Carr wears eyeliner. And I think anyone who knows about makeup would tell you that he's not wearing eyeliner. That's pretty obvious. If he's wearing anything, it's mascara because yeah, they're in the game, getting ready for the game. Right. If you see like the drips coming down <laughs> his face, but you know, cause it's, it, I think that's, that is what it is, right? He has very dark eyelashes and they kind of give the, the natural outline that makes it look like he's wearing eyeliner. But Derek Carr himself has taken money for this joke. And uh, so here, I, I want to play that for you. I'm going to play the audio here, uh, and we'll listen to it. EECU's going to choose me to be their auto loan spokesperson. That's Derek. EECU's going to choose me. That's David Carr. Local. I know what a great rate is. It would be perfect to get a great car rate from Derek Carr. What if I break the internet? His hair. I just look into the camera like this. Derek's going to be crushed. They're choosing me. They're choosing me. What is he doing here? Are you wearing eyeliner? It's called guy liner. <laughs> mm, looks like eyeliner. Bravo to him for playing on that. I mean, what? Take the money for sure. Right. Until I saw that, I was like, would this be unfair to <laughs> to make a joke about this? But yeah, once no, you get paid by by a car insurance company to make a joke about yourself, it's I can make it. But yeah, so like he's not. You know, it it is something, like his own brother is making that joke in a right. car insurance ad. So it's definitely something that he's aware of and. You know, I, I don't think he wears eyeliner. I mean, I, I don't think he wears mascara. I think, again, he just has really dark eyelashes. And that's like one of the the lowest level conversation that needs to be had about Derek Carr right now. But I felt like we've been having so many really intense, angry conversations about Derek Carr. It was, it was time we talked about something that was a, was a bit more levity. But that's it. That's all I got. How do you feel about that? I, I mean, I thought it was great. I was like, I, I'm ready for the guy liner sponsor now for Derek Carr. Guy I guess liner. you got to play better to get that, though. Oh, it's guy liner. Right. Anyway, so, you know, uh, we're, we're going to talk more about Derek Carr. And one thing that came up last week, and we talked about this in the post game, and we've, there's been talk about it all week. Dennis Allen's been asked. Eric McCoy's been asked. Derek Carr has been asked is, you know, what is the feasibility of using the hurry up a whole lot more often than just in two minute scenarios or one desperation comeback scenarios? And one thing that Derek said is, you know, it is kind of something that he really feels comfortable in. And, and it, he said it was his, it's his dream to just do that all the time, but he understands that that can't happen all the time. It's unrealistic. That said, you know, you can see, if you just look at the numbers. So the Saints went into the hurry up about halfway through the third quarter, immediately after the pick six by Foye Oluwakan, right? So they were down 24 to nine. They needed two touchdowns and a two point conversion. So they didn't have time to waste. So they went to the two-minute tempo offense right there. And they really never turned back. They basically went to it the rest of the game. And so that first drive, they started that. Derek was six for six, 45 yards. It was a seven-minute 
26 second drive and they scored a touchdown. Taysom Hill pounded it in on fourth down. And, you know, anytime you can say six for six for 45 yards, you know, for, for an offense that has looked stuck in the mud so much of this season and has been inefficient, not only like they've moved the ball, but they've been inefficient in moving the ball. You're not seeing six for six drives. I, I think you kind of look at that and like, okay, you gotta, you gotta do stuff like that. Whether it Wait, is, how do we do that more exactly? Right, and whether it's all all hurry up or it's like, there's got to be more that you can pull out of that than just okay, we went fast so it worked, right? Yeah. He got in a rhythm. He had one. The next drive didn't work. That was the Rashid Shahid drive, or I'm sorry, that was the Chris Olave drive where he threw the ball out of bounds and yelled at Rashid. That was a three and out down at their own goal line. Lou Headley had a 62 yard punt. And then the Saints got the ball back. The next drive, it was a short. Oh, I'm sorry. That was the next drive. They got stopped on fourth down, and the Saints took it over just past midfield. And that drive, three for three, 53 yards, touchdown to Michael Thomas, then Camara two point conversion. So those two scoring drives, Derek Carr was nine for nine for 98 yards and a touchdown. And they scored another touchdown on the other drive. Like it, love it, need more of it. <laughs> that second drive was in, in, in the, the the time of that second drive is what becomes an issue in that was a 51 second drive right now you can say well that's bad for the defense but the defense forced a punt after that they got the Saints the ball back Did, I don't think they were necessarily as I think that drive down at the goal line there I think they were trying to be more methodical they tried to get back to their standard offense and when you know it three and out <laughs> That was the drive that Derek Carr got hit, quote unquote, in an area. And yeah, next drive. So they got the ball back down seven well, with about, I want to say three and a half minutes, something like that. Derek Carr, the final results of that drive, five for 10, 50 yards. But there were those four straight incompletions at the end. So to get down to the six yard line, Derek Carr was five for six for 50 yards. And so even if, you, even if you include those four final heaves, you're talking about 67% completion percentage. If you take those four out and you just say, from the point they started the hurry up to the point they decided our only option from the six-yard line is to chuck it into the end zone, he completed 80% of his passes for 159 yards and a touchdown. So, I mean, like, I get it. You, you're gonna, you're, you're, you can't, don't want to tire out your offensive linemen. You don't want to, you can't constantly be doing hurry up and, and, and your offense. And, and Dennis Allen said this over time, defenses will adjust, but like nothing has worked. That's basically the only thing that feels like it has been consistent and effective throughout the course of a game, other than deep shots and, uh, you know, check downs. So I don't I've- know. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear, like you're pointing out those stats and obviously what we saw that this team needs to find a way to incorporate it more and and earlier just because, yeah, how comfortable Carr is with it. And and he, like you said, talked about that, how he wishes he could do it all the time, realizes that's not feasible. But still, I, I mean, let's let's dial it up a little more, though, with this team. Yeah, there are ways you can do similar things without constantly being in tempo offense, like big play on first down, hit it right? Have two plays called in the huddle. That's what Eric McCoy was talking about this week. It's like, you don't necessarily have to constantly be sending Derek up there and having him make the decision, but you can go up to the line knowing what the next play is going to be in the sequence. And if your first down play doesn't work, then, you know, dial it back. Like take the, you know, get in the right, make sure you get in the right play, take your time. But if that first play does work and you can just be go bang, bang, hit him again, 
you got to be ready to do that. And that's just the type of things that I think this offense is overcomplicating itself, trying to get everything perfect. When I, you know, I think there's a, this is a very good application of the term of the saying, great is the enemy of good. Like perfect is the enemy of success. It's like, we don't need to be perfect to be successful, but we do need to be successful to be perfect. And I think that's where you're looking at it. And that's kind of goes into last week when I was talking about P. Carmichael was saying, you know, we have to look at streamlining this offense. And while, you know, it might catch people as weird when the offense hasn't really been working and you're talking about making it less complicated. I think people take that the wrong way. They think complicated is good. Complicated is only good if you run it the right way. And uh, I thought Derek Carr's answer to this question about, you know, streamlining the offense in general uh, was was telling in that regard. And so here's that. Some others talk about kind of streamlining things a bit, maybe getting paring down the offensive tackle that people are comfortable with. Obviously, in the hurry-up that's kind of happening naturally, we have a limited menu. Do you think that's part of the second half? You kind of just got into a rhythm with what's been working and what people are comfortable with? Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of that is, you know, game plan plays, or uh, I should say training camp type plays, right? You know, you have your game plan plays, and you, you have to have those because you have to, to be able to attack a defense a certain way, have answers for certain things, and, and be ready for anything in a, in a football game. Uh, but I think it was just nice, to, um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, for our guys. We were just running training camp, you know, kind of plays uh, in, in that mode that we were in. And uh, there was a few game plan looks that we got to and things like that. So it was a nice mix. And so, uh, you know, I think doing that, you know, I've been a part of, you know, you know, 500 play game plans. And I've also been a part of, you know, 45 play game plans. And I've seen both do success and I've seen, you come off the field and you're like, wow, well, that didn't work. That didn't work. You know, I've, I've, you've been on both sides. So this really takes a deep dive into the study of the team, your own personnel, what's best for your guys. And, you know, that's just a short answer for like a pretty big answer. By training camp plays, right? To me, that I think what he's saying there is plays that everyone has run a hundred times and is very comfortable with, as opposed to plays that you have installed this week specifically because this is how the Jaguars like to play. This is what they want to do in these certain coverages. So we're going to have plays that attack that. Now, if those are the plays that aren't working and you can just get back to your bread and butter and have success, do that. (laughs) I cannot say this loudly enough. Do that. (laughs) Stop overthinking it. Use your playmakers and allow them to make plays. And I think that's what the Saints did well in that second half, regardless of how quickly they were running. it It was clear that they got into a rhythm and were comfortable. And you have to find ways to manufacture that, whether it's going fast, whether it's just limiting your scheme and making sure that everything that you're running is going to work in terms of the execution. Got to do it. And so, you know, I'm hoping that when you say, okay, they're headed in the right direction, I'm hoping that that is a sign that they can figure that out and, and do that. Because if you can, if you can generate offense the way you did in the second half and not necessarily have to constantly be go, go, go to do it, then if everything's going to feel a lot easier and we can stop talking about how Derek Carr... I mean, Derek Carr might be the most criticized quarterback in the NFL right now. <laughs> For like, sure. You will, but to, I mean, like, and you know, the funny thing is when you hear like the Jameis complaint has always <laughs> been, well, when Jameis screws up, everyone talks about it nonstop forever. But when it's a white quarterback, they're just like, well, you know, he did his best. Well, I don't think you can make that argument about Derek Carr right now because he's getting it this week for sure. I mean, every it seems like every former quarterback in the in NFL history has come up. Yeah, any analyst, any former quarter, everybody's piling it on with Carr this this week. 
yeah, JT O'Sullivan, Chase Daniel, Kurt Warner, Dan Orlovsky, everybody is going after him in terms of, well, why didn't this happen? Why didn't this happen? Kurt Warner and Chase Daniel were well, a little more on the on the, the whole team suck side of the equation as opposed to this is completely on Derek Carr, which is kind of the approach it felt like JT O'Sullivan was taking. And yeah, Derek was asked about JT O'Sullivan's breakdown yeah. specifically. Uh, and, and this is what he said. When you're a quarterback, do a 43-minute video and, and, and says some very unkind things about you, you know, is is that kind of, you take that personally when another quarterback does that? I don't know who it was. I didn't see a video. Um, but I've seen a lot of quarterbacks run a lot of similar plays. And I've been in a lot of systems where they're read differently. You're taught different things in the game plan. Hey, if this safety's going this way, we want to work this way or this. And, and so I, I will never be that guy to do that to somebody. So I'm sorry I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but no matter who it was, like, I really don't care. Because, um, you know, they're not in my meeting room with my coaches, with the communication with our players that, hey, we're going after this matchup, same mirrored play, we're going to do this. You know, there was actually, I did, someone sent me one where it was funny because there was actually a bust on the defense and everyone was mad at, you know, two of us for not doing a certain thing. I was like, yeah, we didn't know they were going to screw that up. <laughs> you know, you expect a certain thing and we did a certain thing, you know. Um, so that, that crap happens, but I'm sorry that I don't know exactly who, you know, what it was. JT O'Sullivan was a, who was a quarterback here for a while. Oh yeah, I, I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't see it. Uh, he's more than welcome to come. You know, do it with me in our meeting room. You know, uh, you know, he can come kick it with us. And I don't have hard feelings towards anybody doing that because, you know how media. You know, some media is. You know, they're trying to make it about them and, you know, certain things. And I don't know if people are trying to do that or not trying to do that. I just don't pay attention to any of it. And I just try and be great. You know, communicator for you guys when I can on Wednesdays and after the game. I would find it hilarious. If JT was like, yeah, Derek, I'll be there next week. That would be so amazing. If he just it's like, yeah, can, we, can we film the session too, please? Yeah. How about we go through a breakdown? You know, like the John Gruden quarterback school. Yes. Kind of thing? How about right. we go and I'll ask you some questions about how certain reads should be handled. And uh, we'll do that because Derek Carr knows who JT O'Sullivan is. I don't buy that for a second that he's unaware because he even broke, he even like mentioned in his interview, he mentioned one of the plays that JT broke down specifically. Right. So it was one of those things like, no, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I do think that he's probably being truthful in the sense that he didn't sit down and watch a 43 minute video. But about he's how, aware of it. Right. Well, I think he probably was sent a clip. Sure. And it's the play he's talking about. But like, you know who that guy is. He's a former Saints backup. Like, it's not like he's a, you know, it's not not like he's he's me know, right? sitting on uh, YouTube. You know, I don't, I don't know what you're talking. I'm not aware of that. JT who? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but, no, I mean, and and to to be fair, I'm not defending Derek Carr in any way here. He deserves criticism, and this, these breakdowns are more than fair. I've watched several of them, and I'm like, like I said, JT's was 43 minutes long. Like he went through a lot, but like I think if if your criticism of Derek Carr is that he's being given a pass for some of his struggles these first seven weeks, that's not the case. He's not going to pass from anybody. Um, whether it's yell, he's, he, you know, him yelling at his teammates or whether it's missing reads or not sending the protection the right way or whatever, forcing the ball into tight coverage and it gets picked off. Whatever you want to say, you know, I don't think he's getting a pass for any of it. So I'd like to see him t- take that and improve. But. How do you feel about some of the folks, you know, the outside chatter talking about how, 
uh, John Gruden needs to be brought in as a consultant for this. And we've, we've heard Dennis Allen say they don't want to bring anybody from the outside. And there's nobody that's going to help kind of thing. And to me, just because, too, with Gruden standing with the league isn't the greatest, I'm not so keen on it, honestly. They're not bringing in John Gruden. I don't know why everyone's obsessed with John Gruden. I guess because he has a good relationship with Derek Carr. Right. And if he was going to get hired anywhere, it would be here. Because, well, for example, I mean, it's not happening this year regardless. Dennis Allen has been very consistent in that. You can criticize Dennis Allen for a lot of things, but it's not for waffling on that front. Like He's not making coaching changes or making staff additions just to do it, just to placate people. Because if he was, Pete Carmichael would not be the play caller anymore. Because that that is the most obvious way to placate fans. And he knows that. It's not like he's unaware of the criticism that's being levied at Pete Carmichael. He knows that if he just said, hey, Ronald, you're the play caller now, Pete, be the game plan offensive coordinator, that a lot of people would say thank you. And you might, and you would actually generate some positive fan sentiment just from that decision alone. He's not going to do that. That's not the type of coach he is to make that decision simply to get out of his own shadow of, of criticism. Uh, and so, like, I actually think there's something to be said for that. It's, you can say it's bullish, it's bullheadedness, whatever, but, you know, he doesn't believe that changing play callers would actually change anything. And I'm not sure it would either. It's, but my take is like, sometimes you just got to do it to, to affect change. Um, but he's not doing that with, with John Gruden. Now in the off season, there is one scenario that I feel like maybe you bring in Gruden, but it would still be a bad one in that you fired Dennis Allen and you're stuck with Derek Carr for another year, regardless and you just have to find a coach that can work with him and maybe f- salvage it if it doesn't turn around this year. And in that case, maybe it makes sense, even on just a short-term basis, because you you really don't have any other options in terms of you got to s- pair Derek Carr with somebody. Um, but I still don't think that's going to happen either. And yeah, John Gruden is just that name that everyone knows. And anytime, it's like when there's a free agent and he hasn't been signed by anybody through 12 weeks. And then everyone's like, oh, go get that guy. Go get that guy. He's so good. Like, no, you just know his name. That doesn't mean he's good. That means he was good. <laughs> right, or so he'd be he'd still be employed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's every year. It's like, well, why don't they go get this guy? And I'm like, you mean the guy that no one the 31 other teams also said mm, pass? Uh, <laughs> I just find it so funny. It, 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 yeah, it, to me, it just it's been brought up a lot. You know, it's getting louder now from fans. And to me, yeah, that, that doesn't seem like a solution that uh, that one Dennis Allen wants to do, or two, I think, would end up really helping the team either. Just because of previous experience with Carr doesn't mean it's going to translate here again. It would like just I be said, a guy I, I got more of a problem with his his issues with the league, and then what are other coaches and players going to think about a guy like you know Gruden joining this staff? Are people going to have problems with it? Yeah, and like if the idea is everyone's already pissed off at Derek Carr to begin with, then <laughs> I don't think having to sit through John Gruden would necessarily make anyone happier. Uh, and like I guarantee, like everyone with how quickly everyone's become disenchanted with Derek Carr, you think that how, how long do you yeah. think it would take before everyone was ready to run John Gruden out of town? Two plays, <laughs> right? <laughs> One loss. <laughs> One loss. Done. Uh, so I don't know. There's no winning. But hopefully the Saints turn things around. We're going to let's end this segment. We're going to dive into more of what's going on with the Colts, what to expect from Jonathan Taylor, Zach Moss and company. Godner, Godner, Godner Minshew. <laughs> That's a good Just name. say Uncle Rico like Bobby. Uncle Rico. You know, I, I'm a fan of that. 
Uh, well, what can they expect out of him, right? What What is Shane Steichen thinking, go, kicking a 60-yard field goal <laughs> in the first half of a 14-14 to game? <laughs> anyway, there's all those things. So Lawrence Owen's going to break a lot of that down for us. This is Inside Black and Gold. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, everyone, for engaging. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. I really do appreciate it. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review wherever you can. And hit, hit me up on Twitter, at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can hit Steve up at, at Steve Geller WWL. Let us know what you think. Give us suggestions and the ideas for segments you'd like us to hit. We're constantly just running over the same things over and over again. So Where to, bet the, where to get your best eyeliner at? Let us know. Yeah, right. We're we're going. We're at the bottom of the barrel, and we're talking about you know, you know, make uh, you know Maybelline commercials here, and uh, so yeah, anything you have, uh, we'll 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 take it. There's no bad ideas. But anyway, this is inside black and gold. We're getting ready for week eight. Stick around. <laughs>